Welcome back to another episode of Veritas, the truth behind Asian Americans and affirmative action. I'm Sabrina. And I'm Marco. And today we're talking about what our moms do on social media. Or, as I've titled this episode, WeChatting Affirmative Action. I heard it on the Chinese mom grapevine. I'm specifically investigating how WeChat, an extremely popular Chinese social media app, has uniquely cultivated conversation on affirmative action within Chinese immigrant communities. Okay, I'm excited, but also a little confused. Taking back to the beginning. First of all, what is WeChat, and why is it even relevant? Right. So, as many second-generation Chinese-American kids like myself might tell you, WeChat is the place to be for all your immigrant communication needs. There's an extended family group chat that I regularly ignore on WeChat. But there's more to WeChat than I initially thought, because every time I discussed affirmative action with my mom and I asked her where she got her information, she always told me WeChat. So, before I drill down into the details of what WeChat can actually do, I'd actually like to have us listen to some music first. What the? F- hey, it higher, it higher, it higher. There's no Skype, no Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram. We use WeChat. Yeah, your case, tell me your WeChat number. What are they saying? No Skype, no Twitter, something about WeChat number? Yes. So that was a song fittingly titled WeChat that was released in 2017 by a Chinese hip-hop group called Higher Brothers. And that's exactly it. Forget Skype, forget Instagram, forget Facebook. Here's what the New York Times had to say about WeChat. WeChat is an example of, uh, for lack of a better word, a super app. It's a Swiss army knife that basically does everything for you. It's your WhatsApp, Facebook, Skype, and Uber. It's your Amazon, Instagram, Venmo, and Tinder. But it's other things we don't even have apps for. There are hospitals that have built out whole appointment booking systems. There are investment services. There are even heat maps that show how crowded a place is, be it your favorite shopping mall or a popular tourist site. The list of services goes on basically forever. Okay, I think I'm starting to get it. You're trying to tell me that this WeChat thing is a big deal. Exactly. And not only is WeChat a mind-bogglingly extensive, multifaceted network, it's an incredibly powerful form of ethnic media, which is defined as media produced by and for an ethnic group. According to a recent Columbia University study called WeChatting American Politics by Chi Zhang, ethnic media plays a really important role in helping immigrants acculturate and integrate into a new society. At the same time, of course, the ethnicness of ethnic media also helps immigrants maintain their ethnic identity and community. And this is true for many ethnic groups, not just Chinese immigrants. Right. So ethnic media not only helps immigrants assimilate, but also stay connected to home. Right. So how does this relate to Chinese immigrant community in the state specifically? Great question. First of all, many members of the Chinese immigrant community are on WeChat all the time, no matter which side of the affirmative action debate you're on. I interviewed some first-generation Chinese immigrants about their WeChat usage, and here's what they had to say. And WeChat is just like another, uh, it's like, just like, you know, Chinese uh, version of, uh, um, of, you will see a Twitter or uh, a WhatsApp, WhatsApp, right? Mm-hmm. So 
Um, it, it, it has been um, playing a you know um, huge role in my daily life. My 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 wife, my kids complain about it. <laughs> yeah, and 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 sometimes when when you get on, um, and you just can't get it off, you know, because you you you, you keep talking or debating uh, with people in in different opinions. That was Michael, who immigrated to the United States 20 years ago and currently works in IT. He supports affirmative action. Like I'm on WeChat all the time, mm, mm-hmm. talking to friends, mm-hmm. you know, communication and discussion. Uh, that's more like a social mm-hmm. tool for me. That was Sandra, a first-generation Chinese immigrant who volunteers as an editor for a WeChat news outlet called Chinese American Media. She immigrated to the States in her 30s and also supports affirmative action. It plays a important role. I use that every day. And that was John, who immigrated to the United States to pursue a PhD. He now works as a scientist in the Los Angeles area. He does not support race-based affirmative action though he did emphasize to me that he supports socioeconomic status-based affirmative action instead. Marco, you're from L.A. Tell us a little bit about the WeChat community there. To give you a bit of a whimsical example of the WeChat community, the L.A. Times published an article in 2016 called This App Fuels the Illicit Trade of Dumplings and Pork Knuckles in Southern California. Long story short, there's a thriving underground cottage industry of authentically prepared Chinese dishes in the suburbs of Southern California. You're technically not allowed to sell certain types of prepared food out of your home, but all these transactions have been enabled by WeChat. So this is crazy, kind of ingenious actually, and just telling this story makes me hungry. What does this have to do with college admissions though, Sabrina? Right, so buying marinated duck wings isn't the only thing that WeChat can help you do. Another interesting place where WeChat and college admissions intersect is in these Chinese-run test prep centers that often pop up in areas with high concentrations of Asian Americans, such as in California and New Jersey. I interviewed a former college counselor at one of these centers that we'll call Alex. And not only did these centers use WeChat to communicate internally, these test prep centers also used it to drive business. As in, there's real money being made from using this app. Exactly. This is Alex reflecting on how the test prep centers attracted customers. Here, he's specifically talking about a center called Think Tank. Um, You know, a big part of the way Think Tank drives kind of customers or drives sort of like uh, get people to come in to to learn about them are these like seminars. Like the approach was like, let's let's bring them in and have the consultants speak and give give them a sense of like how the consultants are personality-wise and how they would be working with your students. Mm-hmm. And, and bring them in, and obviously you're going to have to do a topic that, that kind of incentivizes them to come in. Right. And, and Harvard, and the Harvard thing for sure. By Harvard thing, he means the SFFA versus Harvard case. There was a lot of bug around. There was a lot mm-hmm. of interest and, and, yeah, like intrigue around it. So, um, yeah. So we, we definitely used, leaned on WeChat a lot for that. And in reference to the specific strategies his boss would use, WeChat was a very powerful tool because you know, advertising was a big part of that business, but he decided that he didn't want to do like the traditional radio and print ads and that kind of stuff. Right. And he was going to do pretty much all the advertising through WeChat. Mm. And, and the way we're, where we're going to do it is we're going to have the consultants write these kind of pertinent and relevant blog posts. 
Right. And you can use that and it's like, hey, if you want to learn more, come to our seminar. And he said that um, he noticed that, you know, if you put out certain blog entries or articles on the chat and then you, you pay them a certain amount to boost it, um, you get a whole lot more engagement and a whole lot of whole lot more people in you know, in the seats when it comes to these seminars. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so he used that very, very heavily and forever. Okay, so I see the connection between WeChat and college admissions, but how about affirmative action? So we've already established WeChat communities are so influential that advertising to them can actually get people to do things in real life, like come to seminars and pay for test prep services. Before we get to affirmative action, though, it might be useful to talk about WeChat and American politics more broadly. Let's take a look at these headlines, Marco. Sure. How a Chinese immigrant used WeChat to win a seat in Maryland House of Delegates. That's from the Washington Post. And how WeChat spread rumors, reaffirms bias, and helped elect Trump. That's from Vice News. Right. So there are a lot of political forces, especially conservative political forces, that are at play in WeChat. According to the Columbia WeChat study, Right-leaning outlets publish significantly more articles and garner more readership than left-leaning outlets, and their issue agenda tends to be more highly skewed. So in other words, the conservative outlets publish more stuff about fewer topics, and they get more readers. Yes. And just like any popular social media app, there's a good dose of fake news being thrown into the mix. Is there anything special about WeChat, though? Because there's a lot of fake news being spread around in American social media, too. The short answer is yes. The long answer is that there's a growing body of research, such as the Columbia WeChat study I mentioned earlier, which says that WeChat in particular is really good at spreading fake news. In a 2018 report released by Professors Oyan Poon and Liliana Garces through the UCLA Civil Rights Project, found that WeChat circulates a lot of misinformation about affirmative action in particular. So like you said, what's so special about WeChat? There are two main ways that information is spread. First, the official account system. You can think of a WeChat official account as a sort of news outlet or channel where you can basically publish whatever content you'd like, and it's very easy to start your own official account. So could I start my own news outlet, like Eminem News? That sounds nice. Sure. Some news outlets are as small as one writer, while others have full-time editorial teams. But the thing about this low barrier to entry is that there's a ton of news outlets all competing for attention, and more readership means more opportunities to display ads and make money. Okay, so I'm trying to get rich off of my M&M news. I need to really get people's attention, so I need to say stuff like, you won't believe what country Trump was born in. Exactly. So, just like what you did, these official accounts are publishing more and more sensational stories, with headlines like, Illegal immigrants started wildfire in Sonoma County, and you could be receiving HIV-positive blood in California now. And the thing is, since there are so many outlets and not all of them are well-resourced enough to publish original content, what a lot of these accounts do instead is republish the exact same stuff, but with a slightly more outrageous title so they can stand out a little more. Right, right, but I mean, just because there's all this outrageous news out there doesn't mean people have to read it, right? Well, that brings us to the second way that information is spread on WeChat. Private, invitation-only chat groups. And not just a chat group with your four best friends, but huge chat groups. We're talking upwards of hundreds of strangers who can discuss and share whatever news articles they'd like. 
these chat groups usually have some sort of overarching theme or affinity, ones that debate American politics, for example, or ones for a particular test prep center. I'm pretty sure there's an Amherst College Chinese Parents WeChat group, actually, but I digress. The Columbia WeChat study found that most WeChat users usually only check news articles shared in chat groups, as opposed to actually checking the news outlets themselves. So it's a very socially driven way of spreading information, with very little technological manipulation or algorithms involved. Huh. So it sounds like a sort of echo chamber type of situation. Right. But the thing is, WeChat users haven't always had this relationship with American politics. Here's Michael again. Yes, I think yeah, that, that um, for me actually that was really uh, started in and back in um, a start like a debating and 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 through something from opinions uh, uh, with uh, my fellow you know Chinese uh, uh, Americans uh, in from what I can recall as, as, as early as 2013 or 2014 uh, there was a uh, uh, Peter Leung's movement. And, and, and starting from there and later, you know, um, you may hear about 2015, 2016, about, you know, presidential election season, um, you know, Trump uh, played, uh, has been playing a huge role in this uh, debate and later um, affirmative actions, um, you know, largely supported by uh, Trump supporters. That that that's that's how we started, you know, engaging in in that you know kind of uh, uh, debate. Wait, remind me who Peter Liang is. Peter Liang is a former Chinese American NYPD officer convicted of shooting an unarmed African American man, Akai Gurley, in 2014. And the Chinese American community, largely first generation immigrants, surprised everyone with their collective political efforts to appeal the decision. Can you guess what media platform the community used to organize these protests? Facebook? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If our conversation has taught me anything, it's gotta be WeChat. Glad you've been paying attention. But besides just the Peter Leong incident, both John and Sandra agree that the 2016 election was really important in politically mobilizing the Chinese community. And uh, WeChat uh, played some, quite some role in the Chinese community in 2016 election. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't much active. I wasn't active uh, in 2016 at all. Uh, and uh, but I know, uh, you know, it played a role. You, people use that as a platform for information, you know, or to organize or whatever, you know, some donations. So before the um, 2016 election, I wasn't someone who was interested in politics at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Right before the election, I became interested. I see. And I wanted to vote because I didn't want uh, Donald Trump to be elected. So that got me into certain groups, election-related, or say politics-related groups. These are WeChat chat groups? Yes. Before WeChat, you know, I got online certain website a lot and made some friends. Mm-hmm. And then we switched to WeChat. I see. So before or after the election, I think people either leave a group or join a group. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and friends got divided. And there were a lot of arguments. So you just, you know, join the group that favors your ideas. So a lot of these first-generation Chinese immigrants, no matter their political leaning, have only more recently become involved and interested in politics. And WeChat is the primary way in which they've engaged in political discussions, which of course includes... Affirmative action? Exactly. It turns out that WeChat users love talking about affirmative action more than most other news topics. The Columbia WeChat study reviewed 12 popular WeChat news outlets and found that affirmative action and dated segregation was the third most reported on topic after Muslims, Islam, and terrorism. In contrast, affirmative action was the least discussed topic in English language media, with jobs economy and healthcare being far more popular. What's more, WeChat conversations on race-conscious admissions have actually been happening long before the Harvard case came up. And in California specifically, there was a bill called the Senate Constitutional Amendment No. 5, or SCA 5, that many first-generation Chinese Americans began rallying around. Here's John again. I was uh, quite active in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was because of the SCA 5, the, uh, the California, you know, uh, the California legislature was trying to pass something that's going to uh, overturn the uh, Proposition 209. As I've said earlier, John does not support affirmative action. And for some context, Proposition 209 established that race could not be used as a factor in education admissions. So SCA 5 was basically trying to re-implement race-conscious admissions. In fact, many of those who opposed it named it Skin Color Act. Certainly it was against, okay, number one, it was against my principle. I believe uh, everybody should work hard and uh, uh, as long as you should work hard, and, and this is number one, and two, as you uh, race is represents your past. It does not represent your future. So race should not be a factor at all. Just like Peter Liang, the Chinese immigrant community in California organized around this cause. Not just myself. Uh, we all, a lot of uh, uh, us worked together. Uh, we uh, protested uh, in front of those offices of uh, different uh, uh, legislators, and uh, we pushed them uh, not to support uh, SCA 5, and they did not support. And that's why how uh, SCA 5 died in uh, California Assembly. And once again, they harnessed the power of WeChat to organize. Uh, WeChat played a uh, really uh, significant role here. Uh, but uh, so uh, people use WeChat to organize, uh, to let's say, uh, let's say, uh, to tell each other, to inform each other, you know, uh, how on uh, one day we should show up at well, you know, how was, uh, what signs we should bring, uh, you know, what words we should say, all this, who, uh, which, uh, uh, which candidate that we should support, how we should support them. Uh, those uh, informations were passed along uh, in WeChat. All of this organization resulted in real-life protests that, as John said, defeated SCA5. SCA5! No! 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 SCA5! No! 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 Next one is SCA5. Bad, bad, bad. Okay. SCA5! 
course, we're here to talk about Harvard and not just SCA5. I'd like to take a look at two anti-affirmative action Chinese organizations in particular, and their relationships with WeChat. First, we have the Silicon Valley Chinese Association Foundation, or the SVCA. They describe themselves in their About page as a, quote, nonprofit grassroots organization working to promote the involvement of Chinese communities in public affairs and public policy in the United States. But that's just their English description. So there's another description? Like a Chinese version, maybe? Yes. Interestingly enough, their Chinese description states that, quote, since SVCA's establishment in 2014, it has actively participated in community activities, largely against SCA5 or the UC, or University of California, College Discrimination Act. Right, so now their political agenda is a little clearer. And of course, the SVCA also runs its own WeChat account. Marco, take a look at this article that they published. Okay, so this article is titled, Harvard Lawsuit is About to Open, Boom Appears in Silicon Valley. Wait, I see a date, time, location, registration link? Is this some sort of Edward Bloom meet and greet? Well, you're not wrong. This event, which is advertised on WeChat, was promoted as a family-friendly affair because it's a quote-unquote great opportunity for your kids to learn about American civil rights. And then they go on to describe why Edward Bloom is the crusading activist leader that the Chinese community needs, even though he, of course, isn't Chinese himself. I'll read some excerpts from this article. In the 1930s, American prestigious schools' implicit discrimination against Jewish Americans was the same as that of today's Asians. However, the Jewish in the past, with their strong solidarity in human and financial resources, eventually prohibited ethnic quotas against Jewish people. The collective weakness and political indifference of Chinese-American groups in the United States have caused us to never form a powerful force for the rights of our own ethnic groups. In recent years, although the awakening and rise of Chinese immigrants are remarkable, it is only the beginning. The creation of SFFA and the fight against Asians is enough to make our Asians both ashamed and in awe. And Bloom himself is continuing to actively build this relationship with other Chinese-American communities. Great. Well, I am just delighted to be here. This is the fourth group of uh, Chinese-Americans that I have addressed in the last, uh, I guess maybe now about three months. I addressed a group in Long Island, New York, uh, a very large group um, in Livingston, New Jersey, uh, one in Houston, and now one in Northern California. Speaking of Chinese-American communities across the United States, another one of SVCA's WeChat articles is titled, The Harvard Lawsuit is Just Around the Corner, and SFFA Invites Everyone to Meet in Boston. So it's like the other article you were talking about. Except they're trying to get people to gather in Boston instead of San Jose. Sort of. The thing I want to highlight in this article actually comes after the official invitation to join this Boston rally. There's a section at the very end where Alex Chen, the author of the article, announces that Bloom is looking for another plaintiff. He includes a smartphone screenshot of an email that he received directly from Bloom. Okay, so it says, Alex. We want to find another student who was recently rejected from Harvard to join SFFA and become a standing member. No one will ever learn their identity. Please put out some feelers in the SVCA and your WeChat community. Many thanks, Edward. Oh, so Ed Bloom knows about WeChat? Right. Bloom himself is aware of the strength of the WeChat community and is using it accordingly to gather more support. 
Not everyone agrees that WeChat is that important to the conversation, though. Let's take a look at the Asian American Coalition for Education, or the AACE, who is actually listed as a sponsor for the Edward Bloom meet and greet we talked about earlier. On their website, they describe themselves as a, quote, non-political, non-profit national organization devoted to promoting equal rights for Asian Americans in education and education-related activities, end quote. As far as I can tell, they don't have an official WeChat account like the Silicon Valley Chinese Association does, but I've seen their events and their name posted all over WeChat. I'm in a couple of WeChat groups that specifically debate American politics. The AACE recently hosted an Equal Education Rights Conference, and leading up to the conference, I saw several messages sent to this group advertising it. Take a look, Marco. Sure. Dear Asian American community leaders and concerned citizens, to further expose the pitfalls of race-based admissions policies and start an in-depth discussion on how to help other minorities improve education without violating Asian American children's equal education rights, Asian American Coalition for Education, AACE, will host the first national conference on equal education rights on Monday, May 20th, 2019 at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. So this event was advertised to a bunch of different WeChat groups? Yep. I actually reached out to AACE's media representatives, Raymond Wong and Swan Lee, to see if they would talk to me for this podcast. And? What did they say? Did they get back to you? Well, sort of. I never got to actually talk to either of them, but I did get an email back from Swan Lee. Here, Marco, read this and pretend to be Swan Lee. Okay, here goes. Sabrina, I assume you didn't pick this topic yourself. Could you provide us with your premises and hypotheses about WeChat, Chinese Americans, so I can evaluate if this topic has discriminatory implications or not, and whether it merits my time? Please don't take this personally. You were just assigned this topic. Okay, pause. Just to clarify, I'm not sure why she assumed I didn't choose the topic, but I did choose this topic. Okay, go ahead. I read some previous articles about WeChat written by Asian American study scholars. It's nothing less than ethnic profiling, full of insulting bigotry and discrimination towards Chinese Americans, especially full of anti-immigrant sentiments targeting first-generation immigrants from China. These scholars are not only racist and disappointing, but simply clueless about how shallow and pernicious they sound. No scholars of other races wrote such ridiculous and discriminatory articles about our fight for equal education rights, only some Asian American study scholars. It's these people that are actively creating racial and ethnic stereotypes to hurt their own racial group and preserve the inequality they suffer. What a shame. But we're not done yet. I think the most interesting part of all of this is that she doesn't think I should even be thinking about WeChat. Here, I'll pretend to be Swanley this time. Okay. <clears throat> if you want to talk about the equal education rights issue, the discrimination against Asian American students, I can try to find some time next week. However, being asked about WeChat has me scratching my head. It's so irrelevant to the real issue here. It not only derails the issue, it also vulgarizes it. It's like being asked, what is the brand of our drinking machine, or what brand of computers we use? She later goes on to say, This is an issue for all Americans, not just Asian Americans, especially not just Chinese Americans. And it does not hang on WeChat. Please don't have your vision narrowed and caged in by a very narrow, outdated school of thought of quote-unquote race war, rooted in the quote-unquote rainbow coalition mentality developed between far leftist street gangs in the late 1960s, such as the Red Guard Party of San Francisco. That was strong. What about Michael and Sandra? Do pro-affirmative action WeChat users think WeChat is important? Absolutely. And I think that's the sort of idea I want to emphasize here in this last part of the podcast. 
that WeChat can be a powerful organizing tool no matter which side you're on. We've already heard a bit from Michael and Sandra, but I'll let them explain their positions a little more. I am for affirmative, uh, affirmative action. Um, that's because I believe the affirmative action is actually the form um, of distributive justice, uh, which benefits the least advantaged social groups and mainly promotes the certain rights of uh, uh, minorities and women. People think affirmative action hurts our children's admission. And people like me think, you know, affirmative action benefits our children, our group, and all other minorities. Some people think, you know, academic success is the most important thing, which means test scores. And some don't think it's the only thing regarding the long-term success in life or in career. And people who support uh, affirmative action values diversity. And some people don't care. They don't think diversity matters at all. And similar to the anti-affirmative action activists, Sandra and Michael both use WeChat to support their side of the cause. What is your personal involvement with um, affirmative action political organizing? Yeah, uh, join discussion, uh, write, translate, edit articles, collect the information, and fight against rumors. Michael additionally described to me a specific incident in which he tried to correct misinformation he found in a group chat. So that person actually sent out the one chat but just by just saying, hey, since we start the suing Harvard, Harvard uh, increased the number of uh, Asian admissions. But, but I personally spent um, pretty much the whole weekend to do uh, to do the research um, on those numbers, but I find out, for example, like a prior year, and um, they used enrollment number, uh, and the, the and, and, and compared to the year, and um, which they said when they started suing uh, um, uh, Harvard, and 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 the, the number they are using in admission numbers, this is completely different things. So you 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 can. You can use enrollment rates to against Harvard, saying they they have lower you know admission rates, right? I mean, you you, you the Harvard could you know admit uh, thousands of Asian students, but only like five hundred attended because you know, some other some other students you know uh, took offers from other colleges than Yale, Princeton. You know, it's easier for you to just you know uh, um, you know talk the talk. But, you know, it's, it's really harder for you to, you know, dig into the facts, you know, find out the truth. Marco, do you remember that Boston rally we were talking about earlier? Right. The one that SSFA was organizing and the SVCA was endorsing? Yep, that one. So it turns out, at the same time this anti-affirmative action rally was happening, there was also a pro-affirmative action rally happening. How exactly do does this organizing happen? Is that, like... Someone comes up with an idea in a chat group and you spread it around, or how does it all come together? Yeah, yeah. First, you express your opinion and you discuss. And the the pro rally, I guess, it started by the college students, Asian students organization, and parents heard about it, 
so they provided some help. Wait, did she just say college students? I thought the WeChat thing was mainly about older first-generation immigrants. That's what I thought too. But interestingly enough, a younger generation of Chinese Americans might also be helping to mobilize. Actually, let's backtrack a bit. One of the very first WeChat articles that showed up when I searched affirmative action was one published by an outlet called Chinese American Media. The article is titled, The Voice of the Next Generation, How Chinese American University Students See the Harvard Case. I had been expecting to find mostly anti-affirmative action articles because I'd read all these news about how conservative Chinese Americans were mobilizing on WeChat. But this one was actually supporting race-based affirmative action, and it was written by a Chinese American college student. Wow. How did she get involved with all of this? Her name is Julie Yao, and she's a student at Barnard College of Columbia University studying economics. She immigrated to the United States with her parents when she was 14. And actually, I'll let her tell you about her involvement herself. Definitely totally support from action. I um, personally have like done a lot. Like I'm, I would consider myself an active, um, like pretty an, an activist in this case. Um, I've like written an op-ed for Columbia Spectator and on a good Chinese media, and yeah. I was also interviewed um, by New York Times, like I spoke a little bit about that. Um, in the fall, like this show that was like screened online, like this TV news screened online by NBC also invited me to be on air. Um, I organized an event with a research assistant for Kimberly Crenshaw at Columbia Law School on the firm of action and kind of invited as a panelist and also the delegator from NAACP um, Legal Defense Fund. And yeah, and then I'm also involved with the Diverse Harbor Coalition. Um, yeah, like wrote articles, be on there when I can, organize events. And also, like, I personally went to the protests in October and also organized some of, like, the pro-affirmative action Chinese Americans in my town, like, adults to go to. So I got, like, about 30, 20 people to go. And just to be clear, a lot of this rally organizing, again, happened through WeChat. But the thing is, she herself doesn't use WeChat much. I also don't really use it. <laughs> um, I use it to talk to my parents and my family, like, extended family in China. But um, honestly, like now, it's mostly with like older people. So how exactly did Julie get an article published on WeChat? So I um, was organizing like the adults to attend the Harvard Defend Diversity Rally. And I was in the WeChat group and the um, editor of the WeChat channel. That would be Sandra, who we heard from earlier. She like wanted to interview some young people who also did... Um, like, was involved in the fight, like, in the rally. So, like, someone referred me to that her. After Julie published an op-ed supporting affirmative action in the Columbia Spectator, her school newspaper, Sandra reached out again asking if she could publish a translated version of Julie's op-ed on the WeChat news outlet. Unfortunately, the Columbia Spectator told her that she would have to pay to publish her translated op-ed in a different news source. And so she told Sandra, Do not pay them. I'll write you a new one. And I did. So this article, which strongly endorsed affirmative action, was indeed published and got quite a reaction from members of the WeChat community. Some people liked it. I think like there are some people who comment on WeChat who are like from like who are older and lived there longer really gets it. 
uh, like, like, yeah, this is, I've lived here for 40 years. This is exactly what I wanted to tell everyone. Or some people are like, wow, this is like very well said from like a young person. And many not so much. And a lot of people are just like, this sounds like some white liberal bullshit. And I was just like, oh my god, in no way this is supposed to be white liberal and whatever. But most importantly, readers really appreciated hearing from younger Chinese Americans on a platform like WeChat. But like, I think what really hit it right, like rarely does a second or one and a half generation college student does things like this. So um, I think that is something that like they really appreciated. And a lot of the parents in the WeChat group are really happy because like, I think that, like, their own children couldn't write Chinese so well, I guess. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, so, like, they, I think that, and if you were to read the article, like, a lot of it is actually about intergenerational communication than really about the case. And then it's more about, like, things I wish my parents knew that I'm learning at school, that kind of thing. So, like, overall, like, both the, I guess, people who agreed and disagreed with you appreciated, like, hearing from like someone in your age group. Yeah, that is for sure. So, WeChat. Affirmative action, Chinese Americans. We've covered a lot today. We really have. But if anything, this issue is so complex that there's still more we haven't covered. All of my interviewees told me, no matter where they stood on the affirmative action debate, that the reason why this issue has been so divisive is because the people that fall under the umbrella Asian American are so heterogeneous. You know, all Asians aren't the same. Asian Americans don't think the same. Chinese Americans don't think the same. Chinese Americans who use WeChat don't think the same. But perhaps there's discourse, political power, and possibilities for communication that we're missing in the world of WeChat. No matter how you feel about race-conscious admission policies, I think we can all agree that it's always good to have more communication. And maybe WeChat could be a part of that. Well, thanks for communicating to me about WeChat, Sabrina. Thank you for listening, Marco. And with that, we'll conclude episode six, WeChatting Affirmative Action, I Heard It on the Chinese Mom Grapevine. Thank you all for tuning in. This is Sabrina. And this is Marco. And you're listening to Veritas, the truth behind Asian Americans and affirmative action. Hi, this is Professor Franklin Odo. These podcasts are products of a research colloquium that I taught in the American Studies Department of Amherst College. We are grateful for support from Associate Dean Austin Surratt and from Catherine Epstein, Provost and Dean of the Faculty at Amherst College.